Hi, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Richard. And welcome to Tech from the Top. From the Top. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Kind of feel a little bit out of out of the sort of groove, as it were. Yeah, so um, uh, it has been a while, hasn't it? And, um, and you invited in Liz to take my seat last time. So. Uh, well, mm, we were in David's no. garden, right? It, uh, you know... Actually, I don't think you were invited to David's garden. No, I wasn't. wasn't enough. No. no. Right. So, <coughs> okay, so that's two fails. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, Liz was great and um, invented new words. Yeah, he invented new words, and uh, you know, hopefully, they won't make it into a child's thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, you know, I'm struggling to think how we can actually top what Liz did because. Liz was fantastic. You know, even our customers commented and said she, did, she didn't even hide um, some of the use cases that she was talking about. Well, I mean, so. she never pulls any punches, does she? So. She doesn't, you oh. know. And uh, sometimes she actually physically doesn't pull punches <laughs> in a PMO meeting. So, yeah. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. Bless her. And what's on what's on today? What we're going to talk about so, today, Rich? Yeah, so one of the things that I that has been really playing on my mind because I get very frustrated about it is this idea of a data mesh. You know, we're like constantly we're barraged with um, you know these new enterprise ways of building data platforms, mm-hmm. and you know I have to sit in meetings like endless meetings pretending that I don't think it sucks. So, <laughs> Wait till he does. Yeah. So I thought I wanted to uh, to voice my protest on this. Okay. Um, and it, so let's start with a definition. What the hell is a data mesh? So a data mesh is a construct that uh, ThoughtWorks came up with in okay. a white paper. Um, and uh, I'm just going to, before, before we talk about any company and before you say anything after the watered-down WeWork beer, um, I'm just going <laughs> to remind you that there's, um, you know, there's a uh, uh, libel, there's, there's libel and yeah, slander li- laws yeah. in place. Yeah. So um, we we need to keep a lid on everything. Um, um, I mean, you named them, not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, so they wrote a white paper, and uh, what Microsoft did is they um, they made a they made a big thing about um, about having an architecture about over this data mesh and. The data mesh is basically something that brings together in the enterprise a bunch of different data domains and users um, so that they can they can access uh, data from different data domains, right? So, I mean, at that point, I guess, like, that's sensible because a lot of the enterprises early on in their journey um, had fragmented data in lots of different domains and in lots of different storage um, vessels, as it were, um, and had no real way of bringing that together. So, what was the original idea? Was it was it trying to harmonize, homogenize, centralize? What was the original idea of that? What was it yeah, trying to solve? It, 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 it definitely is. I mean, when you think about when you think about um, IT as a service offering, right? You've you've got all of these all of these key services that you need to offer as part of um, as part of a data platform, right? You've got a catalog, you've got access control for data, you've got other aspects of governance and compliance and quality, and you know, yeah. there's, there's maybe like about ten or fifteen things in a list that you could come up with. Um, there's, um, there's of course the old dreaded uh, master data management. Oh yeah. As I even say this, uh, 
baby Mervs are going to die. Um, <laughs> our, our, our head of BI, not a fan of um, of MDM in data lakes, uh, but uh, people are still using it. Yeah, it makes um, sense in the domain that it was invented in, which was correct uh, relational databases. Yeah, so <coughs> so I think um, one of the things that it brings together is this central set of services, including ingestion as well, right? How do you actually get data into a lake or a series of storage accounts? Um, and how do you wire those together, right? How do you wire workflows so that you as a data owner, first of all, I have to identify you as a data owner. Um, I need to identify um, other characters, stewards, so people who take care of a particular data set, um, experts, right? So experts who can tell you what that data is, how can I get them involved in a process so that we build a simple workflow where, you know, I want to see what data you have and um, I get some workflow which allows me to access it at some level. Okay. So it's a way of <coughs> managing access control and centralizing data as it sits at rest? Correct. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And But as part of that, I have to know what the data is, right? So I know I have to know what the schema is. Yeah. You know, and I might be interested in in certain um, aspects of it, like um, how has it been derived? I want to understand where it came from, what its prev- provenance is. You know, um, I want to understand um, its lineage. It's funny that I say all these things because I, you know, I remember having conversations where we actually built this ourselves, right? Yeah, because we were so right. frustrated that Microsoft didn't do it about six, seven years ago. I remember sitting in a room with you, and um, what do we call this? Um, Probably dated dumpster or something. It's, it's, <laughs> it's almost certainly one of your catchy poetic titles. Yeah, um, dump. But yeah. I remember that you, you literally modeled this out before they had Azure Data Catalog 1 yeah. and said, oh, this is what I want to do. And then you did your classic thing of built an MVP and then just got bored of it within two weeks. Yeah, you know, oh, fuck this for a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the entire world catches up like six, seven years later. And Andy, stay for the fucking course. Oh, right? sorry, mate. Sorry, like can't do that. Billion dollar business. <laughs> no, so let's go back to one of the one or two of those key points, right? So this is, this is data <clears throat> coming in, ingestion, into a secured place. Yeah. Um, that it looks after its... Um, <coughs> Schema, also it's after its access management. Yeah, I guess it looks after its physical file format. It, it can't just be JSON. It <coughs> ha- it can't be text files. It can't be a jumble. It has to be managed by that data yep. mesh. Uh, and one thing that came to mind there was the the old the age old um, uh, argument about um, schema on write versus schema on read. Mm. And given that. Most big data things are like schema on read, um, but this data mesh seems to insinuate that you have to have it in a certain format when it lands on the lake. Yeah. It seems to be more like schema on write rather than schema on read. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, do you it know starts what? to sort of fall apart pretty quickly, oh, doesn't it, God. in terms you know, of the you philosophy? Have, you have of such it. an interesting way of looking at things. I hadn't even considered that, right, in my crap list. There's <laughs> <laughs> no one near the top of your crap yeah. list. Yeah. I mean, I've got loads of other points in my crap list, but. That, I think, is a really interesting way to look at it because basically by putting that in place, right, you're saying we want to be prescriptive again. We've been prescriptive for like 20, 30 years and then we've moved away from it and now we're being completely idiotic and moving all the way back. Yeah. Right, so what do you need data engineers for? Yeah. 
was because we, we started <coughs> to use data engineers to be able to work around certain problems and not lose any data and retain data of various shapes but that, w- that had the same intrinsic value. And that was a whole schema on reads kind of idea. But that, if that doesn't work with the data mesh because it gets rejected somehow or moved out of the data mesh because it doesn't fit the right schema, then it's a problem. And, and remember that, um, that the, the thing about schema on write is that it's fragile for change. Like you can't, you can't rapidly change everything in a data hierarchy to agree with the target format. That's the problem. It's a single point of failure of, of shape of data. Yeah. That's why schema on write is easier to apply because you add an extra column, drop a column, whatever. It's on it's on the right subscriber at the end that has to do the work around that. Anyone can write anything in there vaguely agrees. But the the data mesh seems to work against that as a It does. Um you're really making me think about different things now, right? Because I was just gonna hurl abuse. This whole concept, but now I'm actually getting quite thoughtful about. No, no, no. This is a really, really interesting. Hands up, everyone! I'm thinking time for start start healing some abuse. No, no, no. no. (laughs) I I will do. I will do. We can we can definitely pause for five minutes to go down this 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 thought path. Um, So I think for me, what is really interesting is um, we. Oh my god! You know, I had a whole construct, right? And all I can think about is my hate list. I remember, you know? remember about like um, hive tables. I do remember hive tables were this kind of nonsense shape that you define that you then say kind of applies over this directory of a data lake. Yeah, kind of go like just this kind of area, this kind of shape. Yeah, it's all kind of loose. Yeah, but. It's the definition of schema on read because you can't define a schema and you get the bits that agree with that schema and the bits that don't, you just don't see. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about it is that it's actually not uh, applied to the data. You can still write the data and then if you later come back and change your hive definition, you suddenly just magically get available to the extra column right? yeah. and nulls in the, when it wasn't there. But it just, you know, you don't lose any data. And that's the big data dream isn't it lose no data keep data forever eventually you might see some value you might be able to figure it out in the future mm-hmm. so how does that work with a data mesh and um do you start getting like weird errors um through the the delta of the mesh itself like the definitions of of the catalog when it changes so really really good point you know and the You've also got to think, right, that change frequency might not be fast enough. I know with, um, you know, we're, we're doing this, we're involved, we're engaged now with a few customers. And, you know, pro- economics is a limiting factor with this as well. We always know that, you know, the closer that you get to real-time updates of something, the more it costs an absolute yeah. fucking bomb. Yeah. So, so um, that's a really fascinating idea, actually, as well. Yeah. Because, you know, that... The whole notion that storing data is cheap is also that the management overhead of data is low. Mm. Putting it on a data lake is about just keeping it forever. Yeah, but but you've but I mean I think you've I think you've hit the nail on the head because the one of the things that I you, oh my god do you know what I've been doing this for two years right and you come along in like ten minutes right and you bring all of these new things <laughs> that I hadn't actually thought about and. Oh fuck you! No, um, I'm sorry, man. Can you can you dub that? 
But just beep that bit. Yeah. Just make him say something like, "You're really clever." Yeah. Bless you. Yeah. Bless. Bless, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, th- this is great, but actually, let's drill into the things in production. Yeah, that you're experiencing that make you think it's a really shit idea. Well, no, I just I, I, I will do that, but I but what what you've said is really interesting because our updates, our update frequencies now are probably going to be completely non-synchronized with our ingestion update frequencies. Yeah, yeah, and so one of the things one of the things that you do is you build a metadata platform to ingest data and understand what you're ingesting and change the frequencies through this. You know, we we do this in um, in a small sense through watermarking, yeah. right? But now you do this at large scale in an enterprise, right? And you've turned it into an industry. Yeah. So um, we've got our industrial pipeline, metadata pipeline, and that is now not linked to our catalogue, right? So the two things are decoupled. Um, that's because Microsoft and their catalog purview doesn't really understand the ingestion process, right? It's just a recipient of its own data or its own metadata. Mm-hmm. So it scans when things are in the lake, and it scans on an update, and it can refresh a schema, um, and if you change location, it will eventually pick that up as well. But if something happens with these two synchronized frequencies... Um, then you're screwed, right? Then you're out of sync with what you're actually landing or where you're landing it. And the the interesting thing that you've said is that from a data engineering perspective, you you essentially don't care yeah. about this, right? You just write if your if your flavor is Databricks, you know, then you just write a Databricks notebook. Yeah. You point it. These are the columns location. I'm interested in. You don't even need like to this. do that. You can infer it because yeah. we've. We've generalized uh, formats, you know, long gone are the days where you've needed hive surdays for anything. Um, so, you know, the repercussions of this are that you are you're trying to de-skill this, but in doing so, well, you are, aren't you? Right? You're, what you're trying to say sort is that of, yeah, if you're not smart enough to be a data engineer, then you can do this. a central place you can go and look at a list of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you or I um, can can always write a very simple spark read, right? Infer a schema as best we can and just probe and know about something very, very quickly within a few minutes. Yeah. So what what benefit is this actually getting us? Right? Given that we're talking about technical metadata, right, is is this even necessary in the world of big data? You know, I mean it's it's nice and lovely to have a catalogue, but are we are we expressing the right things? Um, no, <clears throat> no, you know the 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 point of big data often has been to abstract the thing that writes the logs, to the thing that reads the logs, the things that read the logs needs to be able to say this is what I'm interested in. These are the columns I'm looking for. At some point, data is always going to be tied to some form of columns, some form of shape, some schema you apply over the raw data it always has to be and if your code your code is not automatically going to magically add an extra column in just because the the centralized form of, of that schema gets an extra column added in mm. it's not it doesn't happen like that your code is still going to say i'm taking these three columns and that's it yeah it's not going to get a fourth column magically 
And that means that whatever you do to centralize it is just tying the egress and the ingress together. And what it's doing is it's making it less flexible for you to do things because it's going to, at some point, that's going to fail. Yeah. Going through that, that common central point, it will get out of sync. That's what yeah. you're saying. That's, like you're, you're making what isn't a piece of state in your system, uh, the schema, it's not a shared piece of state, you're making it a shared piece of state. And making it a shared piece of state means that everything has to rely on it, Correct. has to be yeah. dependent on that. And if it changes... Well, everything needs to change in sync with that. Yeah, correct. So it's a single point of failure across the entire system, across the software domain. Yeah. And it's actually unnecessary because the thing at the egress point doesn't actually depend on the shape of it. It only depends on a fraction of the of the shape. Co- correct. And I think I think this actually so I mean I called this data smush obviously because I wrote a blog post called data smush and I I really um I really I was I was in I was in a little bit of torment about what to call this and it um uh you know I made a comment in my blog that it reminds me of smash you know that horrendous um baked like potato. Pa- powdered baked potato and I don't know why but when I think about smash right do you remember metal mickey No who's metal mickey You're kidding me No Metal mickey Who's metal mickey Remind me who's metal mickey Metal Mickey, oh my god, I keep forgetting you're a baby. I'm like right. five years younger than you at most. Are you? Yeah. No, you're seven, uh, eight years younger than it's me. It's not much Nine different. years, nine years, no, because Metal Mickey was in the 80s, right? I was born in the 80s, I was alive, breathing, just a bit. Um, do you know what, I'm going to find out when Join Metal Iron Mickey Maiden. was on TV, right? Metal Mickey was a robot. Oh, he's now searching. Online. Metal Mickey TV series. podcast. Podcast, yeah. So, <clears throat> so Metal Mickey was in a house. Um, you can't have to give us more than that, Richard. Who, <laughs> uh, Metal Mickey was in a house. Go on, go on, YouTube. Go on, it's now showing me something from the 19 London London Weekend, Weekend Television. TV. Yeah, it looks very much like. This Very retro, existed before I was born. Metal Mickey. <laughs> Metal Mickey. Someone's taken four minutes. Yeah, so robot, can you see the robot? Robot looks like that, right? And now I'm, now I'm remembering, <laughs> right? That was the same robot on the Smash advert. With Michael Stainton. That was what? Georgina My brain Melbourne. made that link, right? And Gary Shale. Shall? Mel Mickey always got told Ashley off by the grandma. Knight. I remember that. But now I'm gonna Drop. now the smash advert, right? Okay. All right. So smash. I'm looking at I'm looking at random 1980s children's TV. Yeah, I'm gonna get to point. Oh, smash advert was for the 70s, so they Mel Mickey. Ah, see, look, the smash robot. Doesn't that look like Metal Mickey? It's very very small, Rich. It's very very small. All right, hang on. I have to apologise to all listeners. This is probably the worst part of our podcast event. Oh my god, they are creepy. <laughs> what is happening? It's smash. Right. This is why we all ate that crappy potato. 
Okay. Anyway, so my point my point was that because Smash was it's terrible. Yeah, terrible. It's a terrible type of potato that was dehydrated and powdered, and then you could put water back into it and then make a a potatoy like substance <coughs> that you could <coughs> sometimes eat without feeling sick. But it was also it was also just not a potato, right? So I guess I guess this was my whole point about data smush, right? It sounded a bit like smash, and in my mind, right, I was just putting a few concepts together. Yeah. And so the mesh for me, right, is a smush because it's not quite right. Okay. Right? And the reason that it's not quite right, um, this is my thesis in my uh, in my blog, is because the tooling isn't ready for the concept. So you could do it. You could do it if you had a... Um, a super amazing ingestion service which understood your catalog and was able to offer all of these subservices like proof provenance and lineage and build workflows and all of this kind of stuff. But um, given that you have to build most of these yourself um, to glue everything together, that's why it's not ready. Um, I would I would argue that actually it's... <laughs> It's an impossibility. It's a fallacy that you can actually put this together because it insinuates an active computational system that understands ingest and egress with a centralized um, schema that simply doesn't exist. Like um, you, It's almost like your egress or your data processing pipeline should be constantly updated against the ontology of the data at rest. But that insinuates that someone is always working on every piece of analytics at all mm. points and nothing is ever put to rest. Nothing is ever finished because it's constantly actively going against an ontology which might be able to change. Mm. And if you write in the ontology in the center, in the in the schema in the center that I'm changing column A to column B and this is, it's going to be a rename and it manages that metadata, then it, then it works to a degree in renames, but it's never going to work on inserts. It's never going to work on deletes it's not, in terms of columnular access to data. Mm. It's never going to work. It's like it works well at the dev point, mm. right? And, and you can see in a, in a <coughs> low-code, no-code scenario... Actually, it adds value because it's got a, a schematized endpoint that you can go to and say, "What have I got? What can I read?" And, and you can use that to build up your low code, no code, mm. drag and drop. This is the column I want. But after you press save and you come back to it two weeks later, what does it do when the entire scheme has changed? When all the columns have been deleted and new columns have been added, um, you're basically screwed. Right, you're stale. It doesn't do anything, point. right? It doesn't help at all. So it doesn't really help with change. Mm. So what does it help with? Well, I mean, it helps with discovery, right? Because At the point of development. Yeah. That's as long right. as data is static in its shape and its ontology is static. Co- correct. Correct. Well, well, no, you can update. You can, it, will, it will discover updates. Right? Updating but, column names. Correct. Correct. 
How does it do that reliably? Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it has crawlers, and yeah, I mean, it has crawlers, and it does scans and you know update frequencies. But I, I, I think rely on that. Would you rely on that if it was going to be? Should I, should I use your pacemaker or not? <laughs> <laughs> I think what it comes down to is all of these things, right, are to supplement the lack of skill and the lack of common sense in data engineering, right? We've never needed them up until now, right? We've been doing this since 2013, right? And all of a sudden, somebody's come up with this miraculous idea of, oh, let's add some governance to the data, yeah. right? To tell people what our data is and where it is. Just fucking tell them, right? Yeah. Send them an email. But I, I'm like that as well, man. And I'm, I'm really, really clear with the team that we work with that's in intelligence spaces. Just fucking put, like, a readme file. <laughs> Right, and in that readme file in Markdown, put a fucking table that explains the, the shape of the data. Yeah, and can we just fucking keep it up to date? And that's it. Yeah, that's literally it. Yeah, I know that's like twenty people, <coughs> not like two thousand people. But perhaps if you've got two thousand people working on a shared data domain, maybe you need to break it down into pub sub and like guarantee like contracts between those teams, and not just like go. It's a fucking free for all. Go for it. Oh, and by the way, if you don't know what's going on, there's a database over there that's possibly out of date. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you have a much more po- poetic way than, than I do about this. But I, you know, you, know what, you know what my feeling is about this generally, right? My feeling is that you've got the wrong people driving this agenda. And I think you made this point, which was really well made in the first episode of this podcast, about how... The cloud is supposed to simplify stuff, right? So, you know, as a as a developer, I can go and I can create a virtual network, right? I can create private endpoints. I can create all of this infrastructure, which for the first time I had to rely on a whole bunch of other people, right? And that gives you the agility, right? For the purposes of me using the cloud, all of a sudden I become a, na- a network engineer, yep. right? I can add firewall rules. I can yep. do all these things, right? So... Slowly, slowly, what's happened is you've had patterns and practices in from enterprise IT to say, none of you are competent enough to manage a network or add rules to a firewall or to do this. And so systematically, all of the cloud capability that you've had, right, has been removed from you through patterns and through the fact that you've got guidance from various areas saying, only these people can do it, Yeah. right? Um well, in my estimation, obviously that's garbage. I mean, I know that um, uh, Manny, our CTO, right, he's got tens of people in his uh, one of his teams in India, right, who've got who don't do um, Azure network engineering, but they've got network engineering certifications. You know, this stuff is made to be easy for us. And it's made in such a way that everybody should be able to put all the building blocks together, right? Very, very simply. Um, Now, the fundamental problem that I have with this is that what we're basically saying is that topologies like hub and spoke that have now been centralized, right, and owned by enterprise IT, um, data topologies are emerging, and they're also owned by enterprise IT. So what what this signals to me is <clears throat> what this signals to me is that rather than control 
being distributed to people that actually understand data and can follow patterns, right? So you get the highest skill level of the highest skilled level of people um, within different business groups, different business units in the organizational structure. Um, you've now got everything folded into one central capability, um, which is going to have to be tweaked for everybody. Um, is going to have loads of bottlenecks for some of these services where stuff don't work, and what would have taken from a you know from the moment that you start with all of this stuff where you know you build um, analytics platforms, you build reporting platforms, and you might put governance in place um, and do it concurrently yep. or do it iteratively. You can no longer do that. What you're basically saying is you need to wait for all this shit and then you can start. And and that's really similar to a whole bunch of like <clears throat> recurrent themes in IT and technology. It's like um, remember how self serve BI was invented because um, developer led BI. When um, a, a business user comes to the development team and says, "I want a report that looks like this," is um, fraught with problems because. The definition of um, of what the, the business wants is poor and poorly distributed across people and ends up regressing towards a, um, a vague understanding of what the business wants rather than a clear understanding of what the business wants because you are the business person making the request. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a, a vague understanding and it, it becomes something where... There's a delay and a latency all around the people space because we've got a thousand other things to do. So we're going to wait until we've done all those to get to your request, middle manager in the analytics section who might be able to save the company a million pounds, but we're going to wait forever because we don't understand that's what you're going to do. And the, the whole idea then that something can be self-served, emerged because things that are centralized are fundamentally inefficient because when you centralize it, you lose the specialism of the thing that gives the requirement, whether it's marketing, whether it's logistics, whether it's finance, you lose the specialism when it ends up in IT and it becomes just one of many in a backlog who aren't actually able to understand it perfectly themselves and certainly aren't able to prioritize because they're not they're not the ceo so they can't do the the prioritization so then you have this thing in in bi which is which is where this sort of uh, self-serve bi came from and power bi is an example of that um that if you if you take the requirements away from those who require it and you give it to somebody who is just there as a worker, you get worse overall outcomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the people who should be able to do the, the workload, who should be able to do the, the analytics, should be those people with the requirement to do the analytics. And the only role of IT is to secure and expose the data to those who should be allowed to see it. Yeah. It's just about servicing and, and making it available. And they're background people. And often you see like IT people are trying to do a bit of a land grab yep. to try and make sure they're not just servicing, but they're also owning and controlling. Yeah, you think that's what the data smush is all about? Control. Um, <clears throat> so I think 
I think IT just goes through things very, very passively and they're told how to do by vendors. Um, and this is an industry, right? This is, um, I feel like if the if the technology and the consumption patterns and everything was understood, right, then that would be fine. But actually none of it's understood or the implications or how long things are going to take or what will happen with the business or some of the things that you were saying about um, stale stale definitions compared to, you know, or, you know, the fact that um, you have to um, to build loads of supporting frameworks just to access the data because yeah. there's no coupling between all these different things. Um, so, <clears throat> so my feeling is that um, the tooling... The tooling, which is should be considered separately from the fact that whether or not this is worthwhile to have as a central pattern, is the thing that is failing us at the moment. Yeah. But I, I take your point in that I actually think that this is a huge backward step, and that if if you have smart developers and you have good guidance from vendors like Microsoft, you decentralize the whole lot and say this is the pattern. Right? You can even commoditize that pattern. You know, and people can effectively start using these governance and data lakes very, very quickly, which is just what we used to do. Actually, a fantastic summary of what we've got. What hate have you got to pour down? You made me forget all that. You've actually made me calm down. Oh wow! Um, oh. Well, no, sorry, it was no, no. it was this beer. No, it's, it's watered down apparently. But no, <laughs> let's let's call it a day there. And we need to get another one of these scheduled. What do you reckon the next one should be about? Well, um, Gabriel, what do you reckon? I'm not technical, but... Oh, we never, it's just like the ongoing on joke that, that we're going to do this one of these days. Um, yeah. It's going to be the Christmas one. I'm not Santa, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not Santa's butt. <laughs> hey, hey. Don't kink shame. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. No, it's great to do one of these again. It is, yeah. Let's uh, let's call that a day for now. I think we've gone through quite a lot of territory there. Do you let's think we should have a guest next time? Yeah, I think so. No, but let's think about what we're actually doing next. I'm not technical, but we need to have a non-technical person. Can you? I'm a wood elf. Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> don't, don't. Oh yes, fantastic. Oh well done. Oh my god, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Can you surprise? It's a surprise, everybody. It is a surprise. Oh, it's going to be that's amazing. Wonderful. No, no, that's no, 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 it. Absolutely it. We're wonderful. We're good. We're good. Thank you very oh, much. Can I tell a story? No, 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 no. Oh, next time, save it. Can I tell a little bit of a story? I'll tell half now. Half and now. Half next time. Half now. Can't tell half. No, I can't. I can't tell half. All right. Okay. We're good. Thank you very much for joining, ladies and gentlemen, on tech on the top of the top. <laughs>